You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great, good morning. I'm going to get started. I'm Pete. It's great to have you here. As Edward has mentioned, we've been doing a series called The I Generation. We've looked at identity, single, social media, pornography, money, time, work. Last week I said I was doing the first one in marriage. So this is week two. And basically what I'm talking about is I-generation sex. So uh, that's where we're going to be going this morning. I felt a little nervous about this. I said to my wife, do you think I should speak about it? She said, oh, please do. So I felt encouraged into the subject. I was reading um, up this week on the National Survey of Sexual Attitudes and Lifestyles. I don't know if you're aware, but they do a survey every decade in this country, every 10 years, and basically trying to find out our attitudes towards sex. They interview 15,000 Britons. What I find interesting is only 3% won't talk about their sex, but 20% won't talk about their finance. So you should feel more comfortable about me tackling this subject today than if I was asking about money. There were some stats that came out. The average couple in this country under the age of 44 make love less than five times a month. One in six pregnancies in this country is unplanned, and half of men and women have had a sexual problem in the last year. We are now more accepting of same-sex relationships, but less accepting of cheating spouses. They reckon now that two-thirds of men and 70% of women disapprove on people that cheat on their partner. The number of partners people have has increased. The average for women is now 7.7. I know there's not a 0.7 of a person. It's an average, which was up from 3.7 20 years ago. The average partners for men in this country is now 11.7. 7.9, that's almost 8% of women in this country have had sex with another woman. And 3.6% of the men in this country have paid for sex. One in ten have been forced to have sex against their will. So suddenly we're looking at this whole generation, and that is a picture, and this one came out two years ago, of this generation. Now, we've been talking about the I generation, we've been talking about information, and I've got a, a picture just come up here because it gets in the way of everything. I don't know if you can read that. It says, do you mind if I strap your phone to my forehead so I can pretend you're looking at me when we talk? (laughs) Maybe you feel a little bit like that. People get so caught up in technology. Apparently, one of the reasons that our sex has dropped off in the last decade is to do with technology. More people taking tablets and phones to bed has meant they think the sex rate has dropped in this country and the increase of online porn has also led to a decrease in sex. Now, this is a subject where men and women are very different. I am very aware of that. I know it can feel a generalization. I'm just trying to paint the background. I think I've often described men, when it comes to sex, are a little bit like microwave. Press a button, and they're ready to go. Women are probably a little bit more like slow cookers. You know what I'm saying? Just got to get the food going over time. There was a study by Gary and Barbara Roseberg. This is American. This is not British. They reckon that the average guy thinks about sex every 17 minutes, the average woman every 17 days. 
Now, you might not say that is quite true, but he was saying, and their study said, that this is what people are looking for. Now, in the midst of all this confusion, what has the church said about this? And even then, you might think, oh, golly, I didn't know we were going to do this. I brought a friend. I don't know why they've come this week. I think the church has had a very mixed message. If you look over church history, it's actually been considered a bit of a, a taboo subject. In the traditional church, it was said you shouldn't have sex on a Thursday because that's the day that Jesus was arrested. You shouldn't have sex on a Friday because that's the day of his death. You shouldn't have sex on a Saturday because that's in honor of the Virgin Mary. You shouldn't have sex on a Sunday because that's in honor of the departed saints. In fact, you shouldn't do it the 40 days before Easter. I'm going to take a poll in just now, I'm not. <laughs> Easter, Christmas, or Pentecost. In fact, the traditional church had got it down to there was only 44 days out of the 365, 44 days that you were entitled to do this. The early church fathers, I don't know if you've heard of them, these were the people that, that shaped the church, could actually be quite horrified by the whole thing of sex. Tertullian, who was around 200 after Christ, he said that he would prefer the extinction of the human race than people had sex. This is an early church father. Another one, about 400 AD, called Jerome, said that when he thought about a woman... In that kind of way, he would literally pick himself up and throw himself into a bunch of brambles because then it would help him think about something else. Uh, you think that's bad? Oregon castrated himself because he just thought, man alive, I just don't want to go down this road. We're not going to dwell on that for long, but most guys are already watering in the eyes. One of the early church fathers taught that Adam and Eve had no desire for sex before the fall, and in fact, human beings would have reproduced through vegetation rather than through intercourse. Even in the 1200s, Thomas Aquinas, one of the church voices, said this, you should only have sex if you're planning to have a baby. This is the whole thing about sex. Right up to the Victorian ages where a pastor's wife said this. She's preparing this couple for getting married. And she said to the lady, give little, give seldom, give grudgingly. Oh dear. I'd like us to pray and then we want to try and think, what's the Bible say into this whole mess of, well actually, what about our generation? What about the generations that have gone before? Father, we want to come and ask for your wisdom for your help. God, some of us we can think, oh, this can feel like a real challenge. I'm aware there's single people here, there's people being married for decades. I'm aware there's teenagers in the room. God, we look to you for your help. We don't want to cause people trouble, but actually we do want to be those that are church that are dealing with real issues. Speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I would like to make this as simple as I can. I would say there's three ways that we can approach sex. I think one is we can treat sex like God. Now, you might think that seems a little bit thing, but basically sex is a good thing. I think it could become a, a, a God thing. It's almost the thing that, that saves you. How many here have seen the film Titanic? Oh, God. Yeah, well, I, I should push on with this illustration. If you've seen the film, you know that there's the girl Rose who's the very posh girl, isn't she, who's on the top deck of the ship, who basically is, is frightening that she's going to get sort of married to this guy and she doesn't really love him and 
And then she meets Jack, doesn't she? And Jack's, you know, this working class boy. And suddenly, you know, what happens is they make love on a car on the bottom of the boat. I don't want to spoil it. I mean, you know, the boat goes down. We all know what happens in Titanic. But the reality is, for her, sex became the saviour to take her out the drudgery of life. And actually, if you think about the film, it's almost like, wow, if there was this cataclysmic moment, it could save her. And, and for some of us, it's almost like sex is all we ever think about. You might be fed up with your job, or you might be unhappy with who you are, but actually, sex is almost the thing that keeps me going and saves me. For other people, if you're really honest, sex feels a bit gross. And, and, and I've got to take responsibility for this as a church leader. I suddenly think, when was the last time I did a whole sermon on sex? And yet you think we've got all this going on in our society, and by not talking about it, it can almost be marginalised. It can be considered a bit, ugh. I think that's why some people overwork, because they don't want to face the issues of sex within their relationship. I think that's why some people get addicted to online porn, because actually it's much easier if you can just resolve the issue on your own than try and deal with it with somebody else. Or, and I believe that this is where I'd like to paint a picture this morning, that actually sex is a gift. I believe that it's a gift from God for our pleasure. I believe it's a gift from God that we might have children. I believe it's a gift of God that brings oneness. I believe it's a gift of God that brings a knowledge of another person. I believe it's a gift of God that protects you so that you don't go straying elsewhere. I think it's a gift of God that brings comfort. The Bible actually has loads to say on sex. If you just think, you know, uh, second chapter, Genesis chapter 2, it says this. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That's obviously the picture. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. It's almost like right in the beginning, if you had to think, of, well, what's the Bible say on all these things? Well, I think the Bible would say that he created male and female. They're both in his image and his likeness. Divine equality, value and worth. They're different but complementary. I think that marriage is God's design. One man, one woman come together for sex. And to enjoy that, it's a gift from God. I don't think God was horrified by it. Mark Driscoll, and I've read uh, several books, I can recommend some at the end if it's helpful. It says, the reason sex is fun, pleasurable, and wonderful is because it is a reflection of the loving goodness of God who created it as a gift for us to steward and enjoy. I think that it was this exclusive relationship. Sex outside of marriage, I would say, is wrong. I don't know how many of you, it's a bit of a film buff this morning, isn't it? How many of you have seen the film Friends with Benefits? I'm not sure they want to admit that one in church. I mean, Titanic's almost like, well, that's sort of quaint, isn't it? <laughs> Friends with benefit, I mean, I, I don't know. Is this a, a trap? If you don't know the film, <laughs> basically there's this guy and this girl that are living in this city. Could call it London, it wasn't London. And basically they just think, oh, let's have some sex, but let's just keep the, the emotions out of it. Let's not be friends, let's just do the physical thing. And, uh, you know, they have lots of sex all over the place. Then what they start discovering is what's happened is, I really quite like you. And then some of them say, oh, no, no, it was never meant to be a relationship. It was just meant to be something physical. And what they suddenly discover is they've become united. They've come together. I think that is a biblical picture. 
I think many people have talked about that. If you thought about it, you've got a guy and a girl. I'm not going to choose which colour's the guy and which one's the girl. But actually, the whole thing about sex is that there's a coming together. And in some respect, that's what this film said. It's almost like the guy and the girl, they come together. It says that in, in Genesis, doesn't it? They come together. They're united. They're one flesh. Friends with benefits found that. And then what they found is that actually when they come together and they try and get apart, they suddenly feel something of them has been left behind. There's been some ripping or some pain. And actually they can't pull themselves apart as, as nicely as they'd have liked. And I never realized the mess of it because Titanic doesn't tell you that story. Maybe friends with benefit is a little bit more honest. Oh golly. I didn't realize it was going to be like that. But as God says, it's, it's meant for marriage. You give of yourself in it. There's many other verses that I could pick out. I would love to go through them all. Proverbs 5. I'm sorry if you've got young children in here. I'm not, actually. It is the word of God. Proverbs 5 says this. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you be ever intoxicated with your love. Yeah, I know this can be embarrassing. My daughter came into the study this week, found out what I was preaching on, and said, I'm serving on kids. <laughs> I said, but it's not your turn. <laughs> she said, I'm not listening to you talk about that. Obviously, there's nothing more gross than thinking your parents still do it, is there? The reality is, this is biblical stuff. It says in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. This was radical stuff. Paul was writing to a society where actually the guy could really do what he fancied with the wife. But actually what he's saying is, now come on, both of you, you've got a responsibility to serve and to bless one another. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of control. He's actually writing and saying, look, come on, this is, this is you know, I'm not commanding you to stop, I'm giving you permission if you must to pray. But actually, this is something that's really important. It's vital. Nikki and Scylla Lee, I don't know if you've heard, they've written a marriage course. Many of you would have heard of the Alpha course. The marriage course is also written by Church Holy Trinity Brompton, which is in London. And they say, actually, sex is not meant to be the icing on the cake. It's one of the main ingredients of the cake. The danger is with our society, and this can seem bizarre, is that we talk about sex having a shelf life. And that maybe when you're with someone, it may be a week, it may be a month, it may be two years, maybe ten years, but after that, it's finished. And actually, they're saying, no, no, this is an important part of marriage. We're not called to be flat sharers, we're called to be lovers. This is something that Paul was driving at. I would love to read the whole of Song of Songs to you. Uh, I read this book, um, Intimacy Ignited. This is just one study on the book Song of Songs. Sometimes the church have struggled with this. It talks about, I have to be very careful with pictures this morning because I know for guys, you know, where this gets into our hard brain, you know. But there, there's this picture in the Song of Songs about this sachet of myrrh between her two breasts. And the church thought, oh, God, that's a little bit, uh, you know. And somebody said, well, actually, that's Jesus Christ between the Old and the New Testament. <laughs> No, I don't think so. I think he was just trying to say, come on, guys, you can get erotic and excited. 
You know, if you read the book, you think, man, alive. Yeah, some people are still thinking about that image. I'm going to have to move on quickly. I think the Bible is very honest when it doesn't work. I think when King David, who is considered the great king, you know, the, the second one, the king of Israel, he ends up admiring this woman, taking her, not his own wife, call that adultery, sex outside of marriage, and the sin and the consequences of it. The Bible doesn't hide it. The Bible instead tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now that's a huge challenge in our society because, let's be frank, you can be in the office and people would rather talk about the sex they've had than the money they've earned. And then when I played for a football team, you know, how many guys would just boast about what they'd done that weekend? Nobody wanted to talk about the money they'd spent, but they'd like to talk about the conquest they'd made. How do we flee from that? What film should we be watching? How do we flee from sexual immorality? What about if somebody does come on to us at the office? It says in Hebrews 13, marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. I think, oh, God, how do, we, how do we have this thing that it's not gross, it's not our God, it's a gift, and then how do we handle it well? Now, there's many things, and, and I am aware of, of time this morning. We're going to be breaking bread this morning. We're going to be having our offering. And, and suddenly you think, golly, this shouldn't be done in, in one sermon. In many respects, you think there's a whole series here. Rob Parsons, in his book, The 60-Minute Marriage, which is another one I went through this week, says, let's be really frank. What was one of the stats? 50% of people are suffering. I'm aware there will probably be people here that are struggling in their sex life. And the danger is you can think, this is just me. If you're married, you might think it's not going well. I think there are myths of that. And suddenly we think sex is always absolutely fabulous. It's always got to be spontaneous. You might think, oh, it's it messed up and it's gone for good. If, if you've got some challenges there, I would encourage you to read Rob Parsons' book. Sorry, I haven't brought that one with me. But that, again, 60-Minute Marriage, great book. But actually, I want to look at a couple of principles. I want to look at a principle this morning for singles, and I want to look at a principle this morning for marriages. Now, you know, so there would be many people here this morning, you'd think, golly, Pete, I'm single. What are you trying to say to me about sex? Well, I would want to say straightforward, I believe sex is God's gift for marriage. I believe that's the biblical understanding. The danger is, if we're really honest, that we squirm on this area a bit like Bill Clinton being interviewed about Monica Lewinsky. You know what I'm saying? No, uh, didn't, uh, uh, can I? How do I get away with it? I know as a young person, uh, I was uh, single till I was 24, so I, I think back those years, I've been married now for 22 years. You know, I could think back and, and you just always thought, how could I get around the technicality of this? So our youth leader used to make up some rules. If you don't have it, don't touch it. You know what I'm saying? And it's almost like the bikini covered it, get your hands off it. Well, bikinis are very small nowadays, you know what I'm saying? We can always have rules on this, can't we? When does sex actually start anyway? Is it a kiss or a touch? Or are we going to be legalistic and say, well, actually, you know, I got undressed and I masturbated with someone, but I never had sex. I don't think the question is how far can I go I think the question is, how safe can I stay? 
And that for some of us, if we're really honest, our challenge has been, well, how far could I go? I never had a sister. But I think, man alive, you know, would a principle be only do what you'd want to do to your sister? I don't know. I'm just trying to throw this out. You can talk about it in your community groups this week. I guess I would throw out as well, actually, what about how we, what we wear? I think for some ladies, if you're really honest, you're very sporting, you think, golly, and, and, and that can cause us trouble. And we can always be away. Don't forget we're microwaves. I said that at the beginning. How do we build a community that honours marriage and sex and doesn't cause people trouble? Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 5 verse 3, among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. I don't want to form loads of rules about this, but I'd love us to say, what could we do that would be radical? I was trying to think of an illustration, and I know this one won't work, but hopefully it might help a little bit. If I was thinking about traffic lights, I was thinking red is for single. If it comes to sex, the answer is stop. Green is for marriage. But I can't quite work out what to do with amber, so it's just a red and green traffic light. <laughs> you know, it's not engagement. Please, no, 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 we're not going there. You know what I'm saying? It's red, stop if you're single. It's green, go if you are married. Mark Driscoll, in his book, um, he, he writes a book with his wife, Grace, about marriage. Is the biblical pattern for married people is that it should be free and frequent. I don't know how they work these things out, but they reckon it takes between 9 and 14 years for you to learn not to be selfish in sex. I've read somewhere else that the best sex happens after people have been together for 19 years. And I'd at this point like to say I've been happily married for 22. (laughs) Some of us are playing in the Premier League, but I'm not going to go there. Rosenberg, I commented, uh, they did the study at the beginning, says this, the Bible sees marital sex as a unique privilege, duty, and right. I think sometimes even here we can, we can think, and this is the danger, people get married and they can think, oh, I get tempted elsewhere. I could flirt with somebody at the office and get tempted. The grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greenest where it's watered. And so if you are married, I think you need to invest in your sex life. I genuinely mean that. If you are married, be careful of overworking. If you are married, be careful of letting your mind and your thoughts strain. If you are married, and and I think if you're single and you end up looking at pornography, it will ruin your sex life. I would encourage you to be creative. Now again, I, I can get myself in real trouble. This is the book that he deals lots and lots of practical things. He has three questions. You think, God, I'm married. How how do I know how how I can really go on my sex life? He says, ask this. Is it lawful? If so, give it a go. Is it helpful? Does it bring you together? If not, don't do it. Is it enslaving? If it becomes addictive and out of control, don't do it. But otherwise, actually, how do we invest in our sex life? Some of you may have seen on the internet, and uh, I was looking in detail at this this week, something called the 30-day challenge. Anybody here admit that now something? Anyone here have heard of what's called the 30-day challenge? One other person. Well, good, I can make it up then, and you think I know what I'm talking about. There was a church in the States that was 
that preached on this, so other churches have, and just thought, actually, how do we bring a radical challenge to our church? If we're saying that actually single, it's red, and, and married, it's green, how do we bring a challenge? So they thought, right, we're going to bring a 30-day challenge. And some of you are thinking, actually, I'm up for challenges. I know Julia is doing a triathlon. In, in about three months' time, I stand in awe of her. You know what I'm saying? She loves a challenge. Some of you love a challenge. The 30-day challenge is this. If you're a single, have nothing to do with sex. You think, oh, what do you mean by that? Well, actually, you could be sleeping with someone. And, 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 and they said to their singles, actually, we'd like you all to just stop for 30 days. Don't look at porn for 30 days. Resist anything that you think leads to sex. Single resist. And then they said, if you're married for 30 days, we'd like you to make love every day. The guys were going, yes. The girls are going, uh-uh. That's not always true. I know 25% of women actually can't get enough from their husbands as well. But actually, they were saying, in all seriousness, we would love people for 30 days. Give it a go. If you miss a day, don't beat yourself up. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying you've got to do it twice the next day. But what they're trying to say is, why not make a commitment? Often what they say is the more you do it, the more you enjoy it, the more you want it. And the danger is people have just let things slip and it's become no longer important. There's become a sort of cold wall in between them. And this is not just the icing on the cake, it's an ingredient in it. I would leave that down to you. Are you up for the 30-day challenge? One other thing I wanted to say, uh, and, and I'm just going to move on to conclude after that, I'm very, very aware, and I'm not trying to be a prophet here, I'm very aware there'd be people sat in the room that think, golly, I've messed up. I'm aware that when you speak on a subject like this, and I looked at the stats earlier, I want to encourage you with this. God forgives. If you sit here this morning and you think, oh, golly, Pete, I've messed up. I messed up this week. God can forgive. It says in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Oh, that's, that's liberating, isn't it? So if you have sinned, you can come and say sorry to God and God will forgive you. There's a, there's a story in the Bible, isn't there? This woman is caught in the midst of adultery. I don't quite know what it was like. I often try and sort of imagine, you know, these, they've gone along, they've found this woman, they seem to have let the guy go. They drag her out before Jesus. We don't even know how dressed she was. Sometimes I think it must have been embarrassing for Jesus. It says he actually he, he wrote in the sand. I mean, you can almost think, I don't know that I want to look at a woman in that state. He says, if there's anyone here without sin, cast the first stone. They all end up dropping the stones and walking away, and he's with the woman. He says, I don't condemn you either. Go and leave your life of sin. And I would say that Jesus would say that to us. If actually you think, golly, oh, I feel caught, I feel shot in the heart this morning. I'm aware that I've done wrong before God. If you come and say sorry, then I believe Jesus won't condemn you. He'll tell you to go and leave your life of sin. But before I finish, I normally pray at the end. I'd love to pray now. I'm not going to ask anyone to put up their hand. Let's just pause. If you think, actually, golly, Pete, I'm feeling convicted. Don't feel condemned by me. Listen to the Holy Spirit.
Father, I pray now for any that feel convicted, any that feel challenged, any aware that I've, I've messed up bad. I wish I hadn't come this week. Golly, this is really hurting me. God, I pray that they, they come and, and ask for forgiveness. They repent over different situations, actions, thoughts that they've done. I pray that they know your forgiveness. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm aware that this does raise many things, and, and pastorally, I'd love to think we'd be open. Feel free to talk to community group leaders. Feel free to talk to me. Obviously, if you're a lady, you'd rather talk to Nikki. I'm sure that you can make some contact with her. You see, there are many things, and, and like I say, I would recommend many of these books. I said to you that there's this one, How to Bu- uh, Build an Affair-Proof Marriage, His Needs, Her Needs. Great book. This is the one I referred to, Nikki and Silla, the marriage book. Great course if you've never done it. This one, Christopher Ash, Married for God. Excellent book. But again, I'd encourage you. This is the one I took, Five Sex Needs of Men and Women, if people wanted to look at Obviously, if you'd like to have a little look at them, just for a friend, not for you, I fully understand that. Feel free to have a quick look through them at the end. This was the one I recommended last week. This all comes on the back of last week. Yeah, if, if this is your first week, I'm really sorry, because last week we looked at relationships, marriage. Are you a consumer or a covenanter? This was the book. And if you chose one book, I would say this one. That is really worth it. He uh, ends with a section there, which I think it's Tim Keller. It's called The Meaning of marriage. You see, I think the challenge is that the danger is that we can take our sex out of our understanding of God and the gospel. What I don't want with this whole series is for us just to think, oh, well, I've now got to behave a bit better. We've talked about social media. Golly, I, I, you know, we have a, a, you know, a basket now where we have to put all our, our phones and that kind of stuff when we go to bed. So that we haven't got to, you know, and I don't want us to just think, oh, I've got to behave in a different way. You see, I think actually our behavior comes out of who we are and understanding the gospel. But Tim Keller would say that sex actually is a sacrament. It's something sacred. It's something that points beyond itself. You see, obviously, in the whole thing of sex, there is a sense of procreating. A new soul is often made if a baby is formed. Traditionally, sex outside of marriage was almost a sort of an offence to a family culture. It's almost like well, we're trying to build family and you're having sex outside of marriage. That was it. Well, I think actually for the Christian, sex outside of marriage is it's almost an assault to kingdom culture because the kingdom is about faithfulness. And it's about what you give, not what you take. And so sometimes I think what we're doing is we are breaking covenant by thinking, oh, I just have sex over it. Oh, it's got nothing to do with it. I go to church on a Sunday, but, you know, I can sleep with who I like on a Friday. But actually, by the way we live, it's saying something of the, the, the thing that we believe in. If we believe in kingdom, then surely it infiltrate into our, our sex lives. See, I believe that the... the the whole picture of sex, and, and one of the words that I think you describe it, is that sex is something of delight. It's about giving. Some people have said that actually sex is a picture of the Trinity. I know there's only two involved. We're not going down that road. 
But it says 1 Corinthians 11, that it's almost something of giving of yourself. If you think of what's called the economy of the Trinity, you've got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Actually, they submit. There's a sense of submitting to one another for common good, which brings delight. Some have said, some of the books I've read, that actually the whole thing of giving of yourself is, is pointing to the fact that you can have this loving relationship with God and others. And actually that sex by being a sacrament is not just meant to be some event that's done out here. It, it almost like reminds you of the covenant. So many times in the Old Testament when God said, actually, this is who I am and I want you to remember it. Do this, yeah? Remember it. You know, when your kids ask, why have you got these stones here? Or why are you eating this bread like this? Or why are you killing this lamb? I want you to tell them about me. And so often these, these ways were remembering of the covenant. Now, I would say that actually if you don't have ways of remembering the covenant, it grows stale and you forget it. I would say that actually if you don't regularly have sex, it's not meant to be a one-off thing on your wedding night. You know, actually it's something that points towards this covenant. But it points not just to the covenant of the husband and wife. I think it points to the covenant between God and us. I would say that the ultimate covenant reminder is when we break bread. And we will be doing that. And I don't see that this contradicts all I've spoken about, because I think sex is a covenant reminder. I think it says you're committed to your husband or wife. I think this is a covenant reminder. Tim Keller, I'd like to uh, end with a quote. I think here we've got it up here. How we handle our sexual life can either affirm or contradict what we believe about God. God gave himself to us unconditionally in Christ. And he calls us to give ourselves unconditionally to him. God does not offer or ask for intimacy without complete whole life commitment. If you demand intimacy yet keep control of your life, you are a living contradiction of both the way God relates to you and the way you are to relate to each other in Christian community. Now, I know that can seem a, a long quote. I will make sure it's on the notes for the community group. But I think what it's trying to say is actually this is not just some, you know, the way we live is not just some isolation. The way we live reflects what we believe. It's what we believe about who God is, and it reflects what we believe about the gospel. I think this, this should be a radical community to church. That's not to put you off if you think, oh, golly, I can't keep that standard. We'd say, come as you are, don't stay as you are. Come with us, we're all on a journey. No one's saying you've got to be perfect to come here. You know what I'm saying? I'd love you to think, golly, you turn up and you think, I've made a mess. You'd hear thuds as everyone around the church drops their stones but doesn't walk away and embraces you and says, come on, I found that difficult too, but we're going on a journey together. You see, the whole thing, and this is why I love next week, unashamedly, come next Sunday. I mean, to me, this is the highlight of our year. We, and with this whole series of the I generation, we don't want to be those that end up just thinking this is a moral crusade. I love the Bible. I'm committed to the Bible. You know what I'm saying? I really am. But actually, I'm not called to obey the Bible as much as I'm called to enjoy the risen Savior.
Christianity is not follow the rules in a book. Christianity is enjoy the relationship with Jesus who died and rose again. You know, I'm not trying to export some, you know, morality from whichever century. I'm trying to say to you, that if you don't know him, he loves you. I mean, what was Abby saying? He forgives you. He gives you security. He gives you significance. He gives you worth. He says, I delight in you. And I think out of that relationship, that is how our behavior changes. What we don't want to do is suddenly feel like, oh, we're just trying to change everyone's behavior. I think that's why it's so great. And we're going to seamlessly go into breaking bread together. This, to me, is a, a, a way of reminding ourselves what Jesus Christ has done. If you're a Christian, we'd love you to take part. If you're here this morning and you think, I'm not a Christian, then I'd encourage you just to watch. Because what we're doing is we're celebrating here. We're saying, actually, Jesus, this is grape juice. Anyone can take part. But what we're saying is, this was your blood that was shed for me. The whole thing I'm remembering is that you you physically died on a cross. You shed your blood that I might know you. Why did he shed his blood? Because the Bible says we've done things wrong. It's called sin. It can only be dealt with by the shedding of blood. Ours wasn't good enough. But he lived the perfect life and shed his blood for us. And then we take the bread. And the bread, this is just meant to be a symbol of his body. Jesus said this. Yeah, it's almost like, hey, you can take this. And it's literally, the Bible says it's his body that was broken for us. This is another sacrament. You could say, do this. Why? Remind yourself. I love you this much. I mean, we're not playing good cop, bad cop, because that's not the way it goes. But you might feel church is a bit like that this morning. Pete's the bad cop. <laughs> you know, he's told me that I'm naughty because I've misbehaved. You are naughty. Yeah, okay. Jesus says, I love you. Jesus says, I died in your place. Jesus says, you say sorry and I forgive you. Jesus says, I gave up my life for you. And to me, this is the whole thing about what we're doing. We're going to be coming forward. I'm just going to give us a moment to pray. Whilst we do that, so we're going to multitask on this. We are on our gift day. So we did it last week and we're doing it this week. Some of you say, what's this all about? We believe as Christians it's great to be able to trust God with everything. Uh, as a church, I explain, we've only been going just over a year. This is our first month where we're not being involved with another church. So we've had another church that have helped us with all our finance. From April onwards, it's our first month and we're just saying, right, we're we're going. And so we wanted to trust God and say a statement of faith. We're going to have this gift day. And for some people, it's they're going to start a standing order and they're putting it in. And some people are just putting in money over and above and saying, God, I trust you. And what we're doing is half of the money we're giving away. So we've, uh, we know of a church in Istanbul where it's really hard to be a Christian. There's 3,000 Christians out of a country of 60 million. And we know a church that is there that's been going for about three years, and we're going to give some of the money to them, and, and some of the other, of the 50% we're giving away, there's, you've heard of all the situation in Crimea, we're part of a family of churches called New Frontiers, there are about 30 churches in Crimea that actually are really finding it tough, they're working amongst the poor and the marginalised, and they say with the whole overthrow of power, it has been really difficult, and so what we wanted to say is we'd love to stand with some churches in Crimea. 
And so what we said is, look, we're going to take this, and half of what comes in we're going to split to those two, and the other half will go in towards the church. And it's really a part of our standing as a church together. There's no pressure on you to give. God loves a joyful giver, a cheerful giver. I know some people gave last week. There are envelopes which are specific gift day ones around. If you want to bring something, when you come out, just stick it in the, in the basket here. So if you think, oh, actually, yeah, I'm for that, that's entirely, you are not paying for the bread and the wine. You cannot pay. That is free to everyone. You know, let's just make that really clear. Nick, do you just want to help me pull this across? Maybe the band want to come up. I'm just going to lead us in prayer, and then we're going to be taking this together. Jesus, we thank you so much for what you did. We thank you so much for what this table represents. Jesus, we, we know we don't have to wait even to next Sunday to remember that you rose from the dead. We don't have to wait until Friday to remember that you died in our place. We don't have to wait until next week just to remember that the grave is empty, that we don't celebrate, you know, oh, well, this is where our Lord is laid, because he's risen. We thank you so much for that. Lord, the way we live, we want it all to flow out of the fact we've encountered the risen Jesus. <laughs> Golly, this changes us. Changes our approach to money, it changes our approach to social media and to, to sex and singleness and marriage. We want to surrender it all to you. We say that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. I'm sure Abby and these guys will be leading us in a song. If you're a Christian, we'd love you to come and take part. Basically, just come forward. Uh, there's gluten free bread here for any, um, and there's bread here. The juice is the same. I just encourage you to come, take, and then you may just want to go and, and pray with someone. You may want to find self-space. You may just want a bit of quiet. You may want to join in a song. It's not a prescribed way we're doing this. Our focus is upon him.